Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 152 of the Professional Book Nerd podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm cold. It's a very rainy day here. Yeah. In I'm Cleveland. Not, I'm not complaining. No. I am a, you know, talked endlessly about my love of fall. It's fall is here with gusto this yes, week. Yes, it is. It's been very rainy and chilly, so. But no, I'm good. And it's we're recording this on a Friday, which is always nice. Um, so yeah, no no complaints here. Um, how have you been? Good. Good. Just I know we already said that. Busy week. I know. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. I I said I talked to someone about this yesterday. I don't know why we had Monday off for Labor Day. It always feels like the the short weeks feel longer to me agreed and of course crazy busy because we lost the day but yeah that's okay no complaints um i suppose i should be the one to talk about this episode since i did the interview uh today's interview episode is with adrian walker uh he is an australian author who originally from australia lives in the uk now his first book was called the end of the world running club Uh, And then his next book, which is now available, I believe, by the time this comes out, is called The Last Dog on Earth. Uh, So we talked about both of those books. Um, He was one of those people where when we met each other before we started recording, we instantly hit it off. He's like, he's really into running. Check. He's really into dogs. (laughs) Check. And he's obviously really into reading. So we we became buddies. But we talk about both books um, because of the way publishing works. Uh, for a while, it was if you're in America, it was tough to get the end of the world running club, but that's available here as well. And then with the last dog on earth, also want to talk about that. So, um, talked a lot about like dystopian type novels because both of them are a bit of a uh, like apocalypsy type of a situation. Nice. Uh, but I would highly recommend both of his books. They're really really good. So. Um, and follow him on Twitter because he shares lots of fun stuff. <laughs> he and I actually were talking the other day about, um, speaking of the end of the world running club, like I said, he's a runner. Uh, I saw this person finished the, there's like a Appalachian Trail, one of the most famous trails in America. Mm-hmm. And um, on average, the people who run it say that you should give yourself five to six months to complete this trail. It's massive. Uh, a guy just set a, a world record because he completed it in um, like six weeks. So Adrian and I were talking about that on Twitter back and forth, which is crazy to me. Yeah. this has a, the, the guy averaged like 60 miles a day. Do you remember who it is? Off the top of my head, I don't. I'll send you once you stop recording. I'll send you the Runner's World article. But the guy did 60 miles a day yeah, of like that's what... running and hiking in tri- it was crazy and so we talked about that a little bit not during the podcast because it just happened and i did this interview back in new york and <laughs> at bea so um yeah i i really hope you guys enjoy this he's a lot of fun and um his books are really really good which is always helpful 
If people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds, and they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Yes, and I want to thank everyone for listening in to the Nancy Pro episode. Already has a lot of downloads, which I'm not surprised because she's amazing. Um, so we'll have her back more. We will indeed. Because we're buddies now. So, um, yeah. Anything else you can think of? No. Awesome. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Adrian Walker on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Adam from Team Overdrive at BEA, and today I'm joined by Adrian J. Walker, who was born in the mid-70s near Sydney, Australia. After his father found a camper van in a ditch, he renovated it and moved his family back to the UK, where Adrian was raised. Adrian is the author of the incredible post-apocalyptic thriller, End of the World Running Club, and has a new book coming out later this summer called The Last Dog on Earth. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So... I want to start by talking about the End of the World Running Club just a little bit. So for our listeners who haven't had a chance to read it yet, can you just give them maybe a brief introduction to the story? Okay, yeah. The End of the World Running Club is about uh, a guy called Ed. Uh, and when we meet Ed, he's, he's not in the best state. He's, uh, he's married, he's got two kids, but he, he's not really big on his life. You know, he finds, finds his job hard, his marriage gives him vertigo, uh, and he's, he's pretty down. So um, it takes the end of the world to kind of shake him up. Uh, and the uh, the book's set in Edinburgh, I should have said, and the all of the United Kingdom is hit by a devastating asteroid strike. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ed survives just about with his family, um, and by happenstance, he becomes separated from them by about 500 miles. Uh, and his family are about to be evacuated uh, out of the country, and he has only two weeks to get to them. So, in order to do that, he has to run. And uh, Ed's not a natural runner, I yeah. say. So, uh, yeah, it's about his journey, about you know, learning how to run and learning how to uh, appreciate what he has. So, I have a bunch of questions about Edgar and a, whole, and a lot of what goes out in the book. But, but the, the part that struck me initially, I'm a, I'm a distance runner myself. All right. Yeah. So, are you a runner and do you have that in your background or is that something that... I am, yeah. And I was really getting into running uh, when I started writing writing the book. I knew I wanted to write something about running because it was having quite a big you know, effect on me. You know. um, uh, yeah, I, I haven't, I, I've run two marathons, that's about the, the distance. Oh, wow, run, that's incredible. But nothing, nothing above that. Well, I think you don't have to be modest about that. It's 26.2 miles. I mean, it's... They weren't pretty. They weren't pretty miles. You know what? As long as you... Actually, a little bit before this, I ran a, a half marathon with my brother-in-law and oh, okay. it was... Uh, with the same thing, like miles 11 or 12, he's, he's like, what's our pace? And I was like, I don't think it matters anymore. Let's just get to the finish line. Um, so when you first started running, were you kind of going through the same things that Edgar was going through with the like, because if you first start when you're like, I'm going to run a, a 5K, 10K, yeah. whatever it is, those first few weeks are, are miserable. Were you kind of going through that same? Yeah, exactly. And I think actually I, I didn't realize until I was well into writing the book how much of um, uh, an analogy, if you like, for a runner's journey, that the whole edge journey Absolutely. is, you know, because it takes such a long time to get yourself out of that pit. Yeah. He starts, basically starts the book in the cellar, mm-hmm. uh, and he gets himself out and gets himself going, and, and uh, it, it, it takes a long time until he realizes the benefits of running and, right. and actually what it can do for you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, definitely, there's definitely that. That's, that's so interesting. I, I have so many people that ask me, like, well, how do you run so so many like, at such and such amount of miles? I'm like, well, I didn't start day one and be like, you know what I'm gonna go do? Yeah. 17 miles. That yeah, sounds like a wonderful yeah. idea. <laughs> um, 
so this book has everything from you know, asteroids to kind of like an on-the-road adventure, mystery, dystopia. It's, it could be classified as a lot of things, but for me, I think it's a lot about Edgar's redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would you describe the story that you've created? Like what I guess, genre would you put it in if you could? It's hard because I, I've never really set out to write in a genre. Right. Um, I find myself attracted to books uh, that ask what if, mm-hmm. uh, speculative fiction, I guess you could call it. Um, but I always have been fascinated by end-of-the-world scenarios yeah. and, and books that, that tell those stories. I think mostly, not because of the spectacle of, of, the, of the end of the world, although that is interesting to read, mostly because when you take um, you take a, a, a scene and, and wipe it clean almost mm-hmm. at the end of the world, you can really explore a, a character because they have no dust yeah. Know, no dust to get in their in their way. You mm-hmm. know the dust of normal life. So for Ed, he really is literally running across an empty, barren mm-hmm. landscape, uh, and yet he still has to cope with what's going on in his head yeah. at the same time. So yeah, I think definitely a redemption story. You said that you like these kind of end of the world type of stories, mm-hmm. and your next title is called The Last Dog on Earth. So yeah. the naming convention is a little close. I know. Are the books connected in any way, or is it just? The- kind of worked out for you? They're connected in, in, in terms of the fact that it is um, not so much an end of the world, but it's, it's about social down, downfall. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, there's been no big event or apocalypse, but you know, things are really mm-hmm. down at heel in, in London this time. Uh, and it is about an interesting character, uh, very different to Ed, mm-hmm. who has to uh, do something. Uh, but it's also narrated part by Doc. Uh, and that's that's because I own a dog, and I've been quite upset by dogs for the last two years. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I have to tell you, I am a owner of two dogs. Oh, right. I'm borderline obsessed with. Well, borderline. I'm not even gonna say borderline. I'm obsessed with my You're dogs. Um, we landed here in New York City yesterday. My wife and I, within like minutes, were seeing dogs in the street. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I miss our dogs. But I'm always a little apprehensive as a dog owner to read a book about a dog. Yeah. So, is this book gonna rip my heart out? I'm gonna leave that for you. Oh um, man. <laughs> no, no, it's it's. Um, I won't give away any of the ending. Yeah. But it's. I, I've read a few books where there's been a dog narration, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you know, I've, I've 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 loved most most of those books. Uh, I think what what was missing a lot of the time is an actual genuine voice of mm-hmm. a dog, and having spent a lot of time with my dog. Yeah. They're not so much for me the, the kind of noble, wise animals that, that people think that they're yeah. dirty animals. You know, yeah, they do dirty things. <laughs> so I wanted to, to put a voice in that dog that was a mm-hmm. bit more um, a bit more genuine. Um, and I, I I live in South London, and I spend a lot of time in the parks around there. My dog plays with the dogs, mm-hmm. so I've watched them how they they work together. So um, Lineker is the name of the dog in this book, and he's 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 basically a, an East End rough yeah. cockney dog. That's uh, that's amazing. Bit, yeah, so. It is interesting to see spending so much time, you know, with your dog. And said same thing with my dogs. Like, you learn these little like ticks about them, where like yeah. they'll be staring at you a certain way, yeah. and we'll have friends over, and I'll be like, "Oh, he wants dinner." I'm like, "How do you know that?" I'm like, I just, I just do. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. Like, yeah. he wants to sit in your spot. I don't move for him, but that's why, that's why he's pouting to you. That's like, right. you these little... They believe that they can talk to you through the, mm-hmm. you know, the having telepathy. So and the longer just... that they like look at you, you tend to be like. Oh, okay, this is the thing you want. Maybe it's just easier just to give it to you. That's good. So do you run with your dogs? I do, yeah. So I have a, a Weimaraner and a Vizsla, mm. so the very long-legged... My dog is almost the perfect cross of those two. That's... Yeah. Is, it a, um, is it a mix? It's a rescue. We've, we've no mm. idea, but she looks like a Vizsla and she plays with Vizsla. Well, yeah, so. our, um, my Vizsla is... Uh, I've never seen a dog, I tell people... I've never seen a dog go from zero to 100 back to zero like he does. Yeah. He, he runs hot. 
uh, he will lose his mind and he'll want to sprint and then as soon as we get back home he'll pass out but our wine runner is a perfect pace dog yeah. I don't even need to put a leash on him he just stays right next That's to me cool. so yeah, yeah. They're, they've, been, they've been motivated when I don't really want to go out around those last couple of miles um, do you run with your dog? I try to yeah but, but similarly she either is all or nothing you know, it's just yeah. fast or slow so my pace kind of annoys her a bit uh-huh. uh, I think she just stops after all wonders what I'm doing mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah I try to yeah. um, so I find it interesting that you wrote this book about you know it's a post-apocalyptic world where technology is obviously hard to come by and your next book seems to have a little bit of the, the same situation but at the same time your bio discusses that you have a love for technology personally since you were younger so I have kind of a two-parter I know that you've written a book called Colors that does have the tech world involved but it goes more into the mindset of writing stories without technology like I guess just when you plan are you planning on writing things that are more tech related because you have that background or do you actively stay away from that in your books I think it's uh, it's an interesting question I've not thought about that before Um, I think what I'm finding is I either write uh, a book which is heavily I think about books or plan books that are heavily tech oriented mm-hmm. so like you say colours is, is pretty pretty tech oriented um, or ones in which there is none mm-hmm. uh, and maybe that comes from the fact that I, I have I, I used to be a software developer and I'm you know, into, into that kind right. of thing um, but maybe I did too much of that mm-hmm. and I wanted to distance myself from, from the technology and also because of the uh, the speed at which technology is going at the moment is sometimes quite overwhelming yeah uh, and you can get too too immersed in it, um, it, it you know, can do funny things to your head, I think. So maybe it's a bit of a catharsis for me to just remove myself and, and yeah. uh, you know, go back to the basics. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point because I think a lot of times when people learn about an author and then they'll read their background and they'll see what, what they've done for a living prior to writing books, they have an expectation of, oh, he's in the, the tech world, mm-hmm. this is clearly what he's going to write about. Yeah. So, yeah. but. They, you know, as a, a reader, you might not think about the fact that like, Adrian spent all day every day in the tech world. Probably screen. the last yeah. thing he wants to do when he gets home is probably write about that. That's true, and I think a lot of writers are like that. I mean, mm. I, I know a lot of writers who are uh, software developers as well, and that thing. For me, I think I'm, I'm far more interested in uh, the effect that technology will have on us socially mm-hmm. and individually than the technology itself. I mean, I think we are now in the future and you know, we're seeing incredible things happen every day it's, it's unstoppable so mm-hmm. it's not like we need to think too much about that anymore because it's happening already right uh, i'm more interested in how how you know it's affecting us as, as, a, as a species what um what were you doing in, in the software kind of tech industry before you started writing i was uh, a web developer mm-hmm. um, so yeah sitting down lots and lots of coding and yeah. yeah i still miss it i do like that i mean mm-hmm. I, I started that when i was about 15 just in my bedroom um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I kind of got drawn to writing as well. Yeah. yeah. We like to joke at our company. Our our main offices are made up of two two floors, and it's almost like a, a down, Downton Abbey upstairs-downstairs situation because all of our coders and app developers, everything, they're all on the downstairs floor. Yeah. And then all of us talkers, all of the people who are in charge of selling content and promoting, we're all upstairs. So it's this hilarious, it's almost like we have two different companies. Everyone yeah. gets along with it all, but I'll go down there and it's like being in a different world because it's, I wish I understood coding and everything like that, but it's just an entirely different language. And then they'll come up and they'll look at what we're doing. They're like, I have no idea how you write an advertisement like that. I'm like, well, the feeling is mutual. It is. I mean, there is that definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there is this small little nugget in your biography that 
touched on really briefly in our intro, but I, I want to kind of dive more into it. Okay. You mentioned your father fixing up a camper and then moving you guys back to the UK. Yeah. So obviously you can't move from Australia to London in a van. No. So That's I guess... It's a fairly romanticized version of the event. Okay, so that was going to be my question was, did you guys spend a lot of time in a camper? Did it play a part, a part in your youth or just maybe... Give me no, some, he, some well, my, my dad's quite um, quite keen to point out it wasn't a camper van, it was a transit van, I think, which was a you know, open top thing. Um, but he, he did find it. I mean, we, we were, my dad had moved out there before I was born. Mm -hmm. uh, he travelled about quite a bit. Uh, and my sister and I were born out um, in what is now a very big suburb of Sydney, but was then, then was just bush country. Mm -hmm. So uh, we started life in that kind of, that kind of world. Um, but to get back, we had to fly from the other side of Australia for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> strange things in my family. But um, I think my dad just wanted to drive across the, the Oh, desert. yeah, absolutely. So he, he found this thing, and he's quite good with, with engines. Uh, and he built it all. He put uh, uh, an improvised uh, air conditioning unit in the front, which was sackcloth filled with water. <laughs> this is in the Australian desert as well. And I'm a baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> like what 110 degrees oh, yeah. 115 degrees fairly irresponsible parenting but um no he made it and he went across the Nullarbor uh, mm -hmm. Nullarbor desert which is the desert that Harvey runs across in the in the book right so um yeah probably a little bit of a, a link there between the book and, and that is that adventure. something that you would ever consider doing yourself kind running of running across the desert well not running across <laughs> <laughs> okay that's a poorly asked question you're right um you know kind of taking like a like a camper van or you know, yeah, a transit Yeah, I, I did actually. I went back to Australia um, about 10, 12 years ago mm -hmm. and I drove the other way. So I, I, I drove the coast, almost completed the journey. Yeah. Right? So I drove up the, the west coast, the north, and back down to Sydney. Yes. So technically I have gone around the entire coast. That is incredible. Yeah, that is, I, I, we did that, my wife and I were in, uh, on Maui in Hawaii, and we did oh, that right. in one day in Maui, and we felt like superheroes, but it's a tiny, tiny island, it's yeah. nothing compared to going all the way around, it's just incredible. It's amazing, you'd think it would be boring, but it's not, I mean, the landscape is Yeah, incredible. there's so much, that's the thing, like, and even when people talk about driving across the United States, and then you hear someone else say, like, well, why would you want to do that? There's so much to see, yeah. there's so much that, there's so much in any country, Australia, the United States, yeah. and the UK. There's so much that you don't ever see if you're just flying over it. And yeah, so getting right. this. Yeah. Um, so when you were in the UK and you were growing up, what were some of the books or authors that you were a fan of or maybe that inspired you? Um, I think probably the first book I can remember really liking was The Phantom Tollbooth, which yes. I think was quite a big, uh, big deal for kids. Um, and then through my teens with Stephen King, um, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah. was the first book I laughed out loud on the first page. And that, that really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. That ability to make... Yeah just in a single sentence to make to make someone laugh it's yeah. just amazing um, so those two definitely um, and as I grew up um, I got into Glenn Duncan Sadie, Sadie Smith as well yes. um, Tom Robbins I was beginning to talk about this for a while so quite a mix of UK and US authors yeah. Yeah. Um, so my co-host who isn't here travelling with me today but she's a huge Stephen King fan right. so what were some of the Stephen King books that you were a fan of? I think let me see the first one was Carrie I read okay. um, and Again, I remember all the little, um, how would you say, the parts where he throws aside the rule book and, and just, you know, stops a sentence mid-sentence mm -hmm. does a train of thought, you know. Right. Thing. I love that, and yeah. that was the first time I read something like that. So Carrie, definitely. Salem's Lot really stuck with me. Uh, and then The Shiny, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the, the one that I, I really like is, uh, is it Dumaki? 
uh, one of the later ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really, that really stuck with me. That, that I, I think that was in my twenties when I read that one. But yeah. It's astonishing the amount of authors who have told us basically Stephen King was where I got my start, and like they'll tell us. We've had several people tell us like. Yeah, when I was nine or ten, I read it, and I'm like, "Where were your parents?" Yeah, <laughs> we had several people tell us. I'm like, "Well, I was down in the basement, and I was reading it." I was like, first off, you're ten years old, and that's a thousand-page book." Yeah. Second off, that's the most terrifying entity oh, yeah. in all of literature in my mind, and the reading is a nine or ten-year-old. So, God it's... bless you guys for your early Stephen King love. No, I mean, I, I, I think, um, I think it's so common because because the writing is so vivid mm-hmm. and when you're that age you know it really grips you that, that mm-hmm. kind of you don't have to try with it so a thousand page book yeah feel like a thousand pages because it's a journey it's taking on a journey yeah i never felt myself having to try reading it reading yeah it. um so speaking of inspiration on your website you have this incredibly touching tribute to chris cornell that you just wrote yep. over the past couple of weeks since he just recently passed away um there's been a few times when i as i was reading it i i was going through the same emotions that you were describing because I think I've had it a few times, uh, most recently when Alan Rickman and Gene Wilder passed uh-huh, away, because yeah. their movies were things that I literally grew up watching mm-hmm. when I was a child. And I, I had this strange thought while I was reading this incredible blog post you wrote, because it's like, we have this these connections to these people that mm. we've never met, yep. but they have this incredible talent and this like otherworldly ability to connect with people. What do you think it is about entertainers and, and authors you know mm-hmm. the majority of people will read you know your book and they might fall in love with it but they may never have a chance to meet you but they'll feel like they, they know a piece of you so mm-hmm. do you think it's just the escapism that these people give us or no, I guess what is it I, I think um, first of all I'm not really drawn to writing blog posts generally mm-hmm. um, I, I'll, I think I, I would I would like to write a lot more in my blog but I, I only really do when I'm really drawn to do it so mm-hmm. when Chris Cornell died it was, it was quite a big Really, really hit me for, right. for a few days. Still is really, um, and I think I thought a lot about it. And uh, actually, Stephen King in his book on writing talks about how writing is really telepathy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 a, it's an act of art, you know, yeah. magic. You're writing down some scribbles mm-hmm. that is supposed to, you know, put an image into someone's head. Mm-hmm. And if you do it right, you get the right image. Yeah. Um, so I think the goal of any type of art, whether that's you know, performance or music or, or, or writing is to create a resonance with someone. It's basically just to tell them that what you're feeling, what you're feeling is mm-hmm. the same as the other person, whether it's about life or, or, or anything. Um, and I think when you do that properly, which people like Chris Cornell did for me and, and like Alan Rickman for you, and yeah. books, it really sticks with you because uh, it creates a resonance and that, that never goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what what really affected me, certainly from last year with all the celebrity deaths and, and personal this year, was it's not really just that, that connection that you're missing, it's the fact that are we creating enough people these days that will, that will do that for our kids? Right. Um, as we have done in the last sort of 30 years, and yeah. all these people are dying and we're, you know, do we have anything to replace them with? You know, mm-hmm. that, I think that's the point. Of the and then, from an author standpoint, because like I said, you, you have the ability you know, I'm lucky. I get to sit down with people like you in a yeah. long form for you know half hour, 45 minutes, and, and chat. Most people will come up to you who've read your book, and it'll be a book signing, and they get 90 seconds with you, yeah. and they'll they'll tell you know maybe they'll tell you because they f- they feel the same kind of connection that we feel with these respective people, but they feel it to you. Do you ever get used to having people kind of tell you like, 
this book meant so much to me or I, like these things that people say to you and as an author who has you know you're there's another person behind them that's going to say a similar thing but you have to be genuine like do you ever get used to those interactions with people i am not uh, i'm not famous enough to be over that yet completely <laughs> so whenever it happens it's genuinely touching yeah mm-hmm. i mean I, I do get a fair amount of emails from people um saying that the book was you know very important to them mm-hmm. there was actually one one or two that really stuck with me and, and one was a lady who lives in the mid- midwest of america who she said had read the book and decided to walk across America, and she said this is no mean feat because she, you know, she's quite ill uh, and oh she had God. a lot of animals that were ill and they were going to come with her. So I was first of all said, oh that's amazing. And then I started worrying about it, thinking, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I should check if she's all right. So I followed the journey and she did this vlog of when she was going across across that's America. And, uh, I think I think she made it, but yeah, that was that was pretty touching. Yeah. Um, and she said the book had inspired her to do that, so that was, that was amazing. That's yeah. wonderful. I, no, I, know, I don't get tired of doing that if it's a genuine, um, yeah. genuine resonance. Yeah. Um, so when you aren't writing or you know, promoting books, things like this, how do you like to spend your time? Um, I run. Uh, I've, I've got a dog, uh, like, like you said, so that takes up a lot of my time. I've got mm-hmm. kids as well to look after. Uh, if I'm not doing that, I, I play guitar. I, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been a guitarist, so, so I spend the time. Perfect. Uh, so towards the end of our podcast, we like to do what we call the Nerd Nine. It's just nine. We call them rapid-fire questions. They never end up being that way okay. because we get chatty in between all of them. Um, but they're lighthearted. Nothing intense, okay. I promise you. Uh, so the first one is, what's the last book you finished? Last book finished? Um, Ooh. Homo Deus by Noah Yuval. Do you have a favorite place to read? Um, generally in the chair downstairs. Yeah. Um, do you have a, what you would consider a guilty pleasure? Like I always tell everyone, mine is, speaking of my dogs, like if you were to go to my Instagram account, it's just an obsessive amount of pictures of them. Pictures of dogs. It's going to be rapid fire. I don't believe in guilty pleasure. I think you just have pleasures, mm-hmm. especially when you get to sort of forty and just yeah. like things. That's the right answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> At the end of the day, that's every time people say that to us. I'm like, that's that's actually the right answer. Yeah. We should come up with a better question. Um, do you have one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? All of America. In fact, New York City. The first time in New York City, and nice. I'm really enjoying it. I've not been here before. This is actually only my second time here, and my wife is with me. It's her first time. Actually, as we speak, she's on Fifth Avenue, probably spending right, all of our okay. savings account, <laughs> trying not to panic all day. Yeah, I haven't yeah. gotten any message from her just yet. <laughs> um, are you a coffee person or a tea person? Coffee. I know the answer to this one, but cats or dogs? Dogs. Do you have a favorite food? Pizza. That's a good, you're in a good place for that. You're in a good place for that. Um, and then the last one, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? First go now. That's a perfect answer. Uh, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your books? Um, that's a good one. The, um, I mean, I write like in a dystopian genre. Um, I think what's important in, the, in that genre is to leave the reader with a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it's just a downer. So uh, I, I'm trying to put that into everything I write. That's perfect. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us Thank today. you. Thanks a lot. It's been great. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. 
Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.